Today, we're training Elens on natural capital accounting and hearing from an expert in the UBS Sustainability and Impact Institute as to how this approach could help address the urgent challenge of global biodiversity loss. The United Nations goal to halt and reverse biodiversity loss by 2030 is an ambitious target that looks increasingly unrealistic as the deadline approaches. Biodiversity continues to diminish at an alarming pace. In the process, exposing the world's nature-dependent global gross domestic product to disruption. It's increasingly clear, therefore, that the world needs new tools to sustainably manage environmental resources for the long term. Natural capital accounting weaves the value of natural assets into decision-making throughout markets, enabling organisations to account for their impact and dependence on natural capital, and therefore biodiversity, every time they make an economic or financial decision. Could NCA then offer a solution? Well, the Institute published a fascinating report this summer on exactly this theme, and its author was William Nicole, ESG analyst in the UBS Sustainability and Impact Institute. William, great to have you with us on the programme once again. Welcome back. Before we talk about NCA and its adoption and integration into other metrics and so forth, can you zoom out a bit for us and, and give us the background to this area as you see it? Where are we, William, in terms of how nature is represented within economics more broadly? The best place to start is really at the basics, which is where are we on biodiversity loss today? If you look at recent trends and statistics, they all paint quite a gloomy picture. Just to pick one, the abundance in wildlife populations has fallen nearly 70% between 1969 and 2018. And we have this global goal at the UN level to halt and reverse this trend by 2030. It's 2023 now. And these negative trends are very long running and, and this 2030 goal looks increasingly idealistic. So the background is really one of a long decline in nature. And I think really people care about this in, in sort of two buckets. It's a bit of a caricature, but I think it's a good way to approach the issue. And one is that some people really care about nature because they just like nature. They like trees, they like pandas and all, all that kind of stuff. And that's their way into this debate about caring about biodiversity loss. And then I think on the other side are people who are maybe slightly more hard-nosed and they look at the natural environment as something that also produces things for society and the economy. And that's very true because we need natural products for lots of the things that we produce in our economy. Think about timber for housing, think about taking fish out of the ocean for food. And I think this other camp is maybe pragmatic in that they see there will be inevitable trade-offs in how you produce things and, and, and the demands that puts on nature. We've also got this middle ground coming through that cares about nature, but then also tries to balance the demands we put on it with the things we need from it to produce things that we need to just kind of thrive as a society. And so with this kind of middle ground, there's a growing appreciation that nature is not just something to value for its own sake because we like trees. It's also something that can be quite economically important. And that's really clear in some sectors that are quite nature dependent. Going back to the examples I said earlier, forestry, really obvious example. We just need the trees and we need them for their wood. And that's clearly a natural thing, a tree. Farming as well, you can think of bees and these are all the sort of classic things that people think about. But when you start to think about other sectors that maybe are not immediately nature dependent, it can be harder to see how they relate to the environment and then how this long running trend of biodiversity loss could be important to them. And I think a really interesting example is technology. It feels very devoid from nature. It's all about sort of modern gizmos and things and has really nothing to do with trees, right? But then if you start to look up supply chains and how integrated global production can be, you can see where lots of things that you might assume aren't dependent on nature 
do have exposures to it. So going back to technology, for example, data centers consume a lot of energy and that tends to get a lot of media attention. But they also consume a lot of water and that gets less attention, but it shows how it's not very exposed to nature, but actually it is when you start to look at other ways things that feed into the technology sector are dependent on nature. So big water consumption, for example, as I said. And there was one study that I read when I was just doing some prep for this that I thought had a very stylized fact that was quite entertaining. And it came out with the fact that every 20 to 50 searches on chat GPT equates to the AI drinking 500 milliliters of water. It goes back to this long running decline in biodiversity and a growing realization that this is not just something that's important to begin paying attention to to save the trees or even just to keep the sectors that are obviously dependent on nature and business like farming and forestry, it can matter for the global economy. That's fascinating background. So just on natural capital accounting, one of the problems is slow adoption. Is that because it's hard to agree on established metrics? It sounds so pragmatic, given the way you've described it, to try and integrate this better into other calculations. I don't know, even say GDP calculations, for example. Why has there been this slow uptake in trying to integrate some of these NCA principles in, given that it clearly makes such good sense? So... Natural capital accounting enters the scene just on the, on the back of this kind of realisation that nature is, is economically important. And what is natural capital accounting? It's, I like to think of it as merging biology and economics. It emerged from academia in the 1970s, and it's quite a mature field now. It's basically a way of segregating nature into stocks and flows. And from that, you can start to look at how nature is economically dependent. So a good example is a forest is a stock. And from that, we get a flow of valuable things like timber, as well as space to go walking, for example. And that, that's the crux of what natural capital accounting does. It separates the natural world into little units that we can actually begin to understand why it's economically important to us. And measuring the environment has been emerging more at the international scene over time. So in the early noughties, countries began measuring the state of their natural environments, and, and that began creating lots of cool data on how it's changing over time. However, natural capital accounting is still not something that is done at the international level. It, it remains in sort of little enclaves in academia. Companies do an interesting exercise. So really, we're at a state where we're getting better data on the environment and, and understanding what it is, but we're not moving that data towards insight, where you start to understand, okay, how these trends are moving economically important. And as, as you said, Tom, it, it's been slow to adopt. There's a number of reasons we think for that. It's just a very new field and it takes time to to convince a wide range of stakeholders to adopt new concepts. They're also quite complicated. You know, it took GDP decades to get to where it is today, the international level, and asking for us to do that for nature is, is, is going to take decades as well. And there's also a lot of issues around data still. There's a lot of fast moving work going on in terms of geospatial data and mapping. And I think that's going to be very, very important for nature, given how localized a lot of ecosystems are. But again, that needs to move at a similar pace to a growing understanding of natural capital accounting and comfortability with the methods. Well, yeah, and I wanted to ask you a little bit about a sort of a corollary to the slow adoption or slow progress. And I know in the report that you've authored, William, there is this idea that top-down progress is too slow, but it's kind of necessarily so, and that bottom-up progress kind of almost has to be the, the way ahead. Can you just explain this picture to us, why we need to kind of maybe look at this a little bit differently, look to different areas, different stakeholders to try and drive progress at a speed that's more fitting the nature of the challenge? You hit the nail on the head there, Tom. So we're in the context of having this, this global goal that I mentioned at the start to reverse biodiversity loss by 2030. 
is looking very uh, idealistic and governments have been doing a lot of great work to bring our understanding of the global natural environment and why it's economically significant. However, the goal is fast approaching and our progress is still very slow. So the, the crux of our argument in the report is that we need to rely less on this top-down way of approaching the problem from governments, which is necessary but has been slow to date, particularly in the context of that goal, right? And instead, you need more creative energies from the bottom up to help not only just create new data on, on the environment, but also help bring credibility to natural capital accounting methods. And with that, we hope there would be a, a large snowballing in the understanding of how economically important the environment is. That could then unlock lots of new conversations about why nature is important, particularly, for example, in boardrooms where businesses are deciding their strategy and then if they have a value on how they're exposed to nature of their supply chain, it could change their, for example, their investment decisions. They might pick to invest in somewhere where, for example, if you're a technology company, you might put your data center somewhere where there's a larger abundance of water so that you aren't exposed to those rising nature risks as potentially water becomes more scarce over time. And when we say bottom-up actors, we mean basically everyone but governments. That ranges from investors to businesses to NGOs. And increasingly, there's, a, there's sort of a small niche of these intermediaries. So I'm thinking about startups that provide interesting toolkits to help businesses value their impacts on nature and dependence on nature, as well as bring together lots of data that's constantly emerging in this space. Well, yeah, I wanted to ask you a bit about one sort of caveat, and the report does go into this a little bit, which is that even if we agree that some of these principles of, of natural capital accounting offer better metrics, new frameworks, even benchmarks of how to do better, of course, it is no panacea, right, William? And even if we look at the current situation, you know, just the, the level of current biodiversity reporting is pretty limited, let alone actual kind of NCA. So this isn't a, a one-size-fits-all solution, is it? It's not the answer to everything, but it's a really important place to start yeah exactly i mean the whole space is moving quickly in tandem as you mentioned there's reporting on biodiversity and that's still quite nascent among listed businesses but it is growing and it's following a similar tractor climate which has skyrocketed in recent years with the takeoff of tcfd which is task force for climate related financial disclosures which is basically just uh, regulations on companies to report their emissions a similar thing is kind of happening on nature and as all of that happens, our understanding on natural capital accounting, from our point of view anyway, also needs to take off because that not only just means companies disclose their values of how they impact nature. So, for example, their water consumption, which is the reporting piece. The natural capital accounting piece additionally allows you to extract insight from that data point. So it's not only how much water you consume, it's what does that mean in terms of its economic impact and where are the trade-offs, for example, then in, in where you might put your next data centre and that's the key thing here, that we think the trends are moving in the right direction, but they need to accelerate. And importantly, you need to have natural capital accounting in the mix because that moves the space from just one of producing more data to really one of insight, which is what you need to understand how nature is important across the economy and hopefully change decisions on an economy-wide scale to basically put backwards pressure on the current biodiversity trends we're seeing. Yeah, and I, I wanted to ask you about this, William, because, you know, if you think about when the 2030 targets, for example, broadly were devised, it, it, did seem, it seemed a long way off. And now we've already got certain governments here in the UK a little bit with some targets related to this kicking the can down the road a little bit. We're not naive here at Monocle. We try to be always optimistic. Some people say, well, look, you know, the 2030 targets, as they relate to biodiversity, are they're, they're elusive, but they're actually they're out of reach. We, we can't even manage to get 
close to that now. Do you think that that is true? Or do, do you think there is reason to be optimistic, actually, that if we see a change in approach and attitude in some collective actions around some of the areas that you write about in the report, that we could see a way maybe even to try and get back on track even as soon as 2030? I would never call Monocle naive, Tom. But if, if I'm honest, I, I am probably more on the pessimistic end because the sheer scale of reversal that needs to happen to not only halt but reverse biodiversity trends that, are, that have been very long running in, in the wrong direction is huge. And natural capital accounting offers a way to turn on the lights on an economy-wide scale on nature's impact. And as we said, try and get nature in, for example, in the boardroom when corporates are making decisions. That for us is the best chance to meet these goals. But yeah, I remain pessimistic because even if we do get it in place, which itself is a huge challenge, you know, whether it works can only be answered by doing it. Uh, well, look, William, just finally, let's try and end on a more optimistic note, despite the challenges ahead of us. Just point our listeners in the direction of, I don't know, some timelines here and some frames of reference that could help to define what best practice or our best endeavours in this space could and should be looking like as we look to the future. Of course, we try not to just recommend good ideas, but also how to implement them. The best ideas have some kind of idea of how they can be put into action. And in the report, we finish with an idealized roadmap out to 2030, starting from today and moving through the 2020s and how we could see natural capital accounting mainstream over time. And it includes actions for all of these different bottom-up actors that I mentioned earlier, from finance, corporates, all the way to NGOs and these data intermediaries. And really, you can sum up the roadmap as the next few years should be about experimentation and engagement because natural capital accounting is something that it will be unfamiliar to many. And even itself, the methods need to develop and become more standardized and sort of move from the realm of academia into something that can be used in practice by lots of different parties. So really, really next couple of years are about refining the methods and getting people comfortable with them across the economies. And then from 2026, it's really about applying natural capital accounting to new and improved disclosure on nature. So, for example, that would be a company that publishes data on its water consumption. So that would be the disclosure part also taking off over the next few years. And then the refined methods would take that data point and look at why it's economically meaningful. And over the late 2020s, as those methods are applied and we get more and more sort of understanding about how, for example, a company's operations are dependent on, on nature across borders. Decisions will then be changed in an ideal world. Moving 2030, that means increasingly nature is preserved as a consequence of changes to all these decisions because on an economy-wide scale, as you said before, people then start to take more seriously nature's economic impact and because of that, they change their decisions and then we start to hopefully see a reversal in the long-running biodiversity trends and potentially even hit the 2030 goal, but that remains to be seen. William Nicole bringing us to the end of this edition of The Bulletin with UBS here on Monocle Radio. Listen again and explore more at monocle.com. You can also discover more and find out how UBS can help you at ubs.com. Do check out the Sustainability and Impact Institute pages and resources while you're there. This is The Bulletin with UBS. I'm Tom Edwards. Thanks for listening.